Hey there, boss. This is Jeff Mendelson, host of the One Big Tip podcast. And I am so excited to announce my new Agents of Pod coaching program, where I teach you how to fast track your lead gen by having more conversations with your targeted clients, even if you have no list, audience, or paid ads. Head on over to agentsofpod.com hero, and let me show you how to be the superhero in your own business. I am also actively seeking guests for this podcast. If you know someone who is currently six figures or more in their business and they have an actionable, tangible, and measurable tip to share, please let them know about it. Just go to onebigtip.com slash guest for information on how to be a guest. I can't wait to hear from you. Let's get started. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. My name is Jeff Mendelson, and this is the One Big Tip Podcast. My guest today is Bobby Gillespie. Bobby is a brand growth consultant, author of the book, Build Your Brand Like You Give a Shit, and founder and principal of Proper Design, a Baltimore-based B2B brand growth agency built on the gritty work ethic and innovative ideas that deliver unmatched results. Bobby and the proper team advise on and implement strategies that help B2B brands scale through better positioning, messaging, designing, web, and marketing. They measure ultimate success by enabling and empower their clients to succeed without them. So I really love this mission statement. We're going to dive into it a little bit, a little bit later. Bobby, thank you so much for joining me and welcome to the show. It is a pleasure. Thank you, Jeff. So I'm really interested, first of all, uh, learning a little bit more about your book, but more importantly, tell us a little bit about who you are and what makes you so amazing. Flattery gets you everywhere. My name is Bobby Gillespie. You said I'm principal and founder of Proper, originally from West Philly, but been living in Baltimore for about the last 15 years. Uh, what makes us awesome? I think what makes us awesome is the confidence we have to be ourselves and just keep it real and really just give up any gimmicks that, you know, growth hacks and gimmicks we find to be something that really permeate the business world. And we want to give people the permission to ignore those and do what's best for their brand and what's best for their customer. One of the interesting things about growth hacks is that they're, by definition, they're temporary. They may not always work. They can be poorly executed as opposed to a well thought out, you know, marketing strategy. What would you say are some of the differences or some of the more crazy things that you've seen that, that where a growth hack does not work, but your agency was able to step in and when turn things around and make it a lot better for their companies? Well, the growth hack, just, just really motivation to do it is just because they think they're going to get instant results. And anybody who knows about marketing and building brands is they know it's a long game. It's it's a game that never ends, in fact. And you know, they're just trying to use as little resources as possible to get significant outcomes and hit big goals, but they don't want to invest in doing it the right way. Something that's sustainable and scalable. So, you know, we we see that, you know, the narratives that are out there, hey, you know, this person had overnight success or this person you know, pull themselves up by their bootstraps and was able to like get these killer results or grow this billion dollar, you know, business, you know, during a recession, which it's all basically lies. Uh, that stuff doesn't happen. There's, there's significant uh, input and effort that you don't really see 
Uh, there's significant like groundwork that was laid before. There's all this information and knowledge that was transferred from people that came before us. So all those like overnight success, growth hack stuff is just, you know, it's, it's smoke and mirrors. And when you get down to it, like what really is going to make a difference is really leading with authenticity, keeping it real, because really the outcomes come because your customers want relationships. They want to appreciate your purpose, what you're trying to accomplish, why you're trying to accomplish it, who you're serving. And they feel that they, what you're doing aligns with what they believe is the right way to do things, then you're going to attract the right customer. And as as you're broadcasting that in a consistent fashion, then you're going to just really attract the right people and the wrong ones. So when you do have conversations with your potential customers, they're fruitful conversations because they're with the right people who've already self-selected that, hey, you might be the, the service provider or the product that I'm looking for. You know, I love how you picked up on the authenticity part, because that really seems to be, you know, one of the driving narratives as we're, you know, as we're looking into these different channels that we have for advertising and getting the word out, right? So specifically, you know, like a couple of years ago, Facebook and Facebook pages were all the rage. Now, if you want to get some really, tra- some really good traction, maybe you'll create a Facebook group a lo- uh, that identifies along the line of your ideal audience. And more recently, we have Instagram and TikTok duking it out with these different uh, ways that we can create videos to show ourselves off, to show off our brands, to show off our knowledge, things like that. Uh, Let me actually uh, rephrase this then. When you start working with a company, how do you get them to articulate their authentic self as opposed to, you know, some marketing line or some marketing mission that they'll initially start out your meeting with? How do you get them to break down whatever preconceived notion they had before and get them to articulate that, no, this is how we're going to be authentic. And this is how we're going to touch our customers in the marketplace. Well, the first thing I do is get them to commit to really a simplicity mindset. So one of our favorite quotes is when you are your authentic self, you have no competition because no one can compete with you on being you. So when you think about that, who are you, right? And like break it down into, you know, the the core elements that make the foundation of your brand. Because the way I get them to to buy into that is like, listen, like when you're not there to make a decision, your team needs to know what the right decision to make is. And how do you do that? It might be in some of the leadership, the founder, CEO, this information might be in their head. Uh, but we need to make it something that's really practical and tangible and something that's actionable. So like when incredibly decisions or day-to-day decisions need to be made, someone's making those decisions. And if not everybody's on the same page as to what's best for the brand and your future customer, then they're going to be making decisions based on their personal preference or what's easier for them. So it's not necessarily helping the brand. It's probably hurting it. So the way we break that down is to what what is the core foundation of a brand? Well, it starts with your core values and whatever you want to call them, the pillars of your brand, your values. Those are the non-negotiable aspects of your brand. So whether you started a company or you start a new company, you tear it down, you rebrand, your core values are going to be the same because those, in essence, are the things that you would literally go out the street and fight for. The most important things to you. So when you have your core values clearly identified, and they're not just like, integrity 
but it's we do the right thing because of you know x y and z and that makes it actionable so you're making decisions on hiring people that share your values that appreciate your values you're engaging with customers that share the same values you're talking to people that are vendors and things like that you want to work with people that share your values so you get along and you you you, you know effortlessly can communicate and compete on what's most important of that foundation is your uh, brand message. So basically what you do for whom, right? Just keep it as impossible and then you can build it out from there. Your brand message isn't your tagline, your slogan, your marketing jingle, nothing like that. It's the, the connection that pe- we want people to feel with our brand, right? It's that emotion. It's that feedback we want to hear from other people. The last aspect that that brings it all together to put the parameters around what's appropriate for the brand are is your brand personality, tone of voice and personality. So when you think about when you're getting into writing, you know, any sort of creative expression of the brand, design, writing, interfaces, all that stuff, you want to put parameters around it because without those appropriate parameters, there's an infinite number of potential solutions. Well, that's too many. So if we tighten it up, then our creativity can become very innovative because we've decided what's best for the brand, right for us, and we put that personality and tone of voice on it and make that just as tangible and practical and actionable and tactical as it needs to be. So everybody that's working on communicating for the brand, whether it's an individual, a marketing team, a campaign, it's all the same page. They're all doing consistent stuff. And that leads to just like... Simplicity leads to, free, I think somebody said, or discipline leads to free, discipline is free, that simplicity alleviates a lot of pressure as to saying like, oh, we got to come up with another gimmick or another slogan. You don't need to do that. You're just making consistent message to say the right thing to the right people. And they're going to identify if you're right for them or not. What's really interesting about what you're talking about is even when you have companies that sell multiple products, not just one product. Right. So I think the, you know, like the, you know, the big elephant in the room would be Apple, you know, the, all of Apple's products can fit on one little table. Right. And what happens is they were very successful, especially in the beginning of being able to identify who that avatar is, uh, you know, implement the cool factor, you know, increase the desirability of their product and what they stand for. And that that's why everyone uses them today. Not only that, they're insanely great products. Right. I mean, they, they, uh, they just work. Right. Mm-hmm. Then when you have a like, and they're sexy, right? They yeah. Look they good. look good. You know, it's, <laughs> they're in every movie, you know, I, I'd be surprised, you know, soon yeah. make it into a star Wars episode. Like seriously, they're that good. They're gonna be, but what's interesting is that when you start branching out <laughs> in other types of products, like, yeah, like one of the <laughs> other examples that comes to mind for me is Starbucks. Now Starbucks doesn't just sell coffee. They also sell food. They also sell, you know, merchandise. They all, they also sell this lifestyle, and this identity of, you know, the type of people that come in and purchase their products. Can you talk a little bit about how a company that has multiple products would still be able to sum up or, or let's just say, roll up their values into these, into these major core pillars, like you say, and still be authentic to all the products that they're selling below it. And of course, you know, how that uh, trickles down mm-hmm. to the vendors that they use, to the uh, employees that they hire, how that their employees, things like that. This is a really good question. This is something we handle with our clients quite frequently. Uh, it's, a, it's a big challenge for 
really smart people that don't have the brand experience to come in and say like, how do we scale our brand architecture uh, without even knowing what brand architecture is. So brand architecture is basically how this thing is going to be built over time. And as we bring on new products and services, how do they fit under the core brand? How do we scale accordingly? So what I, the first thing I would say is don't look at Apple as the way to do it. Apple has unlimited resources. So for their, they would be a house of brands, right? So, or a branded house rather is the term we would use for a company like Apple, where all these products fall under the Apple umbrella. Then there's a house of brands, which would be more like Unilever. So there's Unilever and then all the brands that fall within their portfolio are individual. So if we're going to talk about, a, you know, a SaaS company, just the urge to develop names for your products that aren't under your core brand name. So for example, if you're, you, 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 you do SaaS, you have two different products. Uh, you also do service, like just name them accordingly underneath who you are. Because what happens all the time uh, is your your customers start knowing you as your products and services, and then you get all of this brand confusion, and then you don't understand or even know where the equity of your brand is going, and it's probably going in the gutter. When you want it to go, when you want it to be top of mind, and you want people to make referrals and recommendations, and to make a decision to hire you, you want to be crystal clear that we're brand X. And our products are SaaS 1, SaaS 2, Service 3. And that makes it really simple and scalable versus saying, you know, we're going to call it Robot R. This one's going to be, you know, Machine F. And then you're just like, wait, what? go to the company that has Machine F. Like, who is that? And so just think about it in terms of like, what is the simple, most simple possible solution here that we could scale? And it's just coming back and making the decision to say like, okay, Let's just create one brand, right? Like Dyson, as an example, you use quite often, right? They have, you know, uh, fans and hair dryers and the, the vacuum. What are the names of those fans and hair dryers and vacuums? I don't know. It's a Dyson vacuum, right? So think of that as a very successful company that has a brand architecture that makes sure that when you think of innovative home products that clean stuff like with technology it's dyson right versus which dyson thing like then you can go and shop so like keeping it simple like that then how does that trickle down well every everybody wants to buy direct from the manufacturer direct from the brand right so amazon and walmart and target they made it pretty easy to your retail option but brands are, are definitely looking to sell directly to the consumer. Consumers are looking to buy directly from the brand. So at least when you create your sales strategy, hard decision whether you want to make a quick buck with, with Amazon and Target and Walmart, or you want to sell direct to consumer and take a little more time and building out your brand and building your awareness. You know, I, I've had someone on this, uh, on this uh, show a couple of weeks ago where we talked about Amazon, you know, being a very, a very small business friendly distribution uh, channel for, you know, for their services. And 
One of the things that bothered me about that whole statement is that, you know, for a long time, people were like, no, Amazon is destroying everything. You know, they're infiltrating everyone's home. They got all this tech that's, you know, between the Alexa and the I, and that robot thing that goes around and vacuums, you know, they're going to be everywhere, right? And what happened was there's a famous case study in the Harvard Business Review about how Toys R Us actually lost their business because they started pushing all their, you know, they started using Amazon as a distribution channel you know, to sell their toys. And basically what happened was at that time, they actually taught their public that they can then go to Amazon and buy the same thing instead of going to their brick and mortar store. Well, guess what? People stopped going to their brick and mortar store and how many Toys R Us's do you see more in the United States? Now that was what, 10, 15 years ago already. Right. And now what you have is, you know, just about everyone is on there and there's so much cross pollination. Right you know, going on with all these different, for example, with Target or Walmart, there are many things that like when you try to buy on their website, it's not even in the Walmart store. It's not even fulfilled by them. They're just facilitating that very much like an Amazon in order to get that. So they're, they're really trying to siphon away uh, some of those uh, sales, you know, for themselves. And, you know, if if the manufacturer still treats it as a channel and they respect that channel as such, you know, then they're able to, you know, increase their reach and, you know, everyone should be happy. My question here is how do you help companies figure out then which channels would be advantageous for selling their wares and which ones would be more like, no, that's not really a good fit. You know, you could be diluting the brand by putting it on Amazon or making it available on the Walmart site. How do you help companies through that thought process to see which would be the best, you know, the best places to promote their, uh, to promote their, their merchandise? To promote it versus selling it or, or, or kind of all together? All together. Direct to consumers, whether you're a retail brand and you, and you're kind of rebranding and repositioning and re-strategizing or if you're a new brand, direct to consumer is the way to go. Like you said, like these, these big retailers are marketplaces and what they do, what you're giving up in terms of convenience in the short term is control of your brand. So we worked with a, a consumer brand years ago, took them through a strategic process. And what, what, what we do in terms of like understanding their situation and how it can align with their business goals. Uh, is is just mapping out their customer using an empathy mapping processes that IBM developed years ago when they're creating, you know, uh, the first GUIs on on fax machines back in the day. We've kind of taken that process and we apply it to understanding the customer, not just the user, and just really getting a a, a honest look at what how what the, how they measure success, right? The gains and what their pain points are, what they're trying to accomplish. And then mapping out, like, where are they? Influencing them directly. Are they the decision maker? If they're not the decision maker, do they, can they influence the decision maker? Do we have access to the decision maker? All those things are the questions we want to ask, especially when we're doing a B2B or multiple tier sales. But if you, this brand we worked with a couple of years ago, they were in Walmart and Target and Amazon. And what they wanted to do was become a digital native brand. And I said, guys, you can't go back in history. You're already in Walmart and Target and things like that. But we want to sell more direct to consumer. Well, let's do that. So what we did was establish like what's the right messaging to be authentic and communicate directly to your customer's desires 
and how to differentiate by really owning our personality and being who we are and being unapologetic with that. And we are able to create, uh, give them the opportunity to create a more brand that they wouldn't be able to buy, that, that consumers wouldn't be able to buy in the big retailers or on, uh, online included, uh, but they could buy directly from them. So we were able to, their marketing team is who, who we usually kind of bolt onto. They're able to like increase online sales from like 30K a month to 100K, but they also create this premium brand that opened up a whole new revenue stream and didn't impact their sales from the big retailers. Uh, it just complemented that. And so they weren't competing with the big retailers on the same products. They created a new brand that still fell under the umbrella of the company that they're able to open up a new revenue stream. So Amazon, Facebook, and the big retail still have a hell of a lot of influence over their brand, but they don't own it like they used to. So that was very liberating for them, but it also increased revenue by leaps and bounds. You know, I love that example because it really, uh, it really illustrates the creative thinking that's needed, you know, just to, you know, just bolt on a few extra features or make it, make it just seem more lux. Yeah. And then you can call it something else. You can charge more for it and, you right. know, and you're actually identifying and, yep. a slightly modified avatar, you know, someone who is looking for those qualities, you know, that they're not going to be, just, uh, you know, in the market for the lowest price or find the Chinese brand. Or whatever it is. I think that's smart. So cool. Thank you so much for sharing. Uh, Bobby, can you please let everyone know how they can learn more about your company and how they can reach out to you directly? So obviously come check out our website, properagency.com. Uh, we're in the mid-Atlantic US space, but we work with clients, mostly um, multinational clients, US base. Find me on LinkedIn. I'm hosting a lot of provocative and Helpful stuff on my LinkedIn, which is that Bobby G, T H A T Bobby G. And you can, speaking of big evil online retailers, you can find my book on Amazon.com. <laughs> Build your brand like you give a shit, or you can look up Bobby Gillespie and and hopefully uh, not not the Bobby Gillespie from Primal Scream, Bobby Gillespie from Baltimore. I love it. Bobby, thank you so much for joining me. It's been a lot of fun. I love talking about this stuff. Oh, my pleasure, Jeff. Thank you. I really appreciate you taking the time to be with us today. Thank you so much for listening to the One Big Tip podcast. If you're a six to eight figure entrepreneur, business coach, or speaker who would like to be on this show, we need to talk. The audience for this podcast is hungry for experts and professionals who want to share their knowledge with this world. So if you're ready to share your actionable and measurable one big tip, please go to onebigtip.com slash guest and let's get your story out there. I am also crazy excited to announce my new Agents of Pod coaching program. With this program, I show busy entrepreneurs the strategies that I use to have warm conversations with my dream clients, keep my calendar book solid, and consistently have potential clients at the ready, all anxiously waiting to speak with me every single week. Head on over to agentsofpod.com hero and let me show you how to be the superhero in your business today. Lastly, I have a huge ask for you. Could you please share this with your audience on social media? The stories and connections that I make on this podcast have helped thousands of people, sometimes in the most profound ways. 
And you never know if your small action today will be the one that kickstarts your friend, a family member, or even yourself into taking massive action and starting the next multi-million dollar business. It'll be your way of just paying it forward. My name is Jeff Mendelson. You can find me on all the major social channels like LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook. Thank you so much for listening.